Before X Factor, before Idol, there was Pop Stars, a New Zealand-created reality TV show searching for the next Spice Girls. <clears throat> the show created True Bliss in New Zealand. And in Australia, Bardo was born in the year 2000, with five women chosen from more than 2,500 who tried out. Bardo had huge success in Australia, New Zealand and Singapore, with hits like the one we just heard, Poison. But after two years, the band suddenly ended under mysterious circumstances. 23 years later, Bardo member Belinda Chapel is sharing the story she always wanted to tell about exploitation, about the price of fame, and about what happens when your dream becomes a nightmare. Her book is called The Girl in the Band, Bardo, A Cautionary Tale. And Belinda Chapel joins me now. Hi there. Hello. How are you? I'm really good. I've got a photo of you and me 23 years ago <laughs> on a promotional tour oh, uh, through New Zealand. And I was working at a radio station and there was no one more huge than you guys. You must know that you're just as big here in New Zealand as you were in Australia. I remember. I do remember the crowds. Yeah, New Zealand was such a wonderful country to visit, I remember. <laughs> and, and I think you came and sang the uh, anthem at a rugby game too. We did. We did indeed. Yeah. Yes, all, all those many years ago. <laughs> so is it nice to be back in the spotlight sort of on your own terms with this book? Oh, I mean, it was more of a creative process for me, um, not so much being back in the spotlight. Um, I sort of work behind the scenes these days. So, uh, but yeah, I have done a little bit of press um, to help, you know, make the book be known out there. But yeah. So going back to those days... When you first saw an ad for auditions for pop stars, did you think I was born for this moment? I certainly did. I, um, Yeah, I, I'd been working quite a bit in the industry leading up to the day I saw the audition notice. Um, and yes, I was extremely passionate about uh, going to those auditions and I had a gut feeling. Um, yeah, I did. I had a gut feeling that I might have a good chance, which you don't always get in this industry, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Were you aware of True Bliss and the New Zealand pop stars experience? Not at all. Had absolutely no idea. Um, I remember the TV executives telling us about True Bliss and about the show in New Zealand, but I hadn't, I wasn't aware of it um, when I went for the auditions, okay. no. And, yeah. and, and hard to remember this now but I mean today someone who tries out for a show like this does so largely with eyes wide open but but you didn't have the benefit of lessons learned from people who'd come before you American Idol was still a few years away this is all very new it certainly was uh yeah it was all very raw for us we we didn't really know what reality television was at all <laughs> um, Amazing. so so when we sort of signed on you know we we were just really just had no idea and then obviously the show went number one across the country and um and it was just yeah it was quite bizarre experience yeah, yeah. and to your audition you try out with a song called respect by aretha franklin that takes some guts man <laughs> yeah i mean it wasn't an easy task we had to sing a cappella. i don't know if it was the same in your country but yeah, just standing there and in you go, uh, no backing track. And, yeah, there was a selection of, I think, seven songs. But I was a dancer and really into my soul music. So 
I certainly wasn't going to sing Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> I remember that was one of the choices. So <laughs> respect it was. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, the, the whole process, externally, it seems pretty cruel, lining all these um, uh, people up and choosing between them. I guess that's the nature of the industry anyway. But can you recall that sort of the anxiety and the nerves of wondering if you were going to be chosen? Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, I was used to auditioning. I'd been to many, many auditions before that audition, but this audition was different because they herded us in like cattle and they put us in groups of five and you had to audition in front of everybody. Um, so all the other girls that were auditioning, you auditioned in front of them. So that was horrifying. Usually you get taken into a room in groups and at least, you know, there's only a small group of you um, auditioning at one time. But, yeah, this was a, a big cattle call. So, yes, it was definitely daunting. I do remember that. Yeah. And, and in hindsight, do you think you're a little naive at the time about what they were looking for, that it wasn't just about singing and dancing? I mean, a lot of people say that, that it wasn't just about singing and dancing. But, um, I mean, they were definitely looking for people that were going to sign a very one-sided contract mm. for young, naive girls. But, I mean, they did really cull, you know, if you couldn't sing, you were out. If you couldn't dance, you were out. Um, I remember there was a girl, one girl in particular with this incredible vocal range. Um, she could sing uh, a lot better than me, and uh, but she couldn't dance, so she was out. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it was definitely about the singing and dancing. Um, and then obviously they wanted, you know, someone that was confident and looking for the star quality. But Yeah, was, and then, um, but you talk about in the book about photo shoots where they were saying time for the TNA shots, you know, look as sexy as possible. Mm. And I, I got the impression that that was a bit of a surprise or you know, was a bit of a moment for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, we definitely ended up doing uh, quite a lot of men's magazines and that kind of thing. But that was the go back then. Like, I don't even think those men's magazines exist today. No. I don't know, do they? <laughs> FHM and Ralph and yeah. stuff and I don't know what they were called, but uh, <laughs> I remember there was quite a few. And that was sort of the the sort of, I mean, the record companies were just like, yeah, you girls do that. I don't, I don't believe that was helped helping sell records. <laughs> mm. So I'm not quite sure why we did it uh, because, I, yeah, I'm, our market was definitely not the dudes buying those mags. I don't think so. I don't think they were, like, buying FHM and going, yeah, now I'll go out and buy the Bardo album. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I'm not quite sure why we did all of that. And, yeah, looking back, it, it, you know, it wasn't ideal. It, you know, I, I probably would do things differently well, I'd be a little bit more nervous doing that kind of thing now um, mm. and aware of exactly, you know, that level of exploitation. Um, but you know what? We were young. We were, we never felt like we were doing anything that we were pushed to do. I think when you're young, you sort of just embrace all of that a lot yeah. more. <laughs> um, so you were chosen as one of the five, but actually 10 girls were offered contracts, right? <laughs> That meant you didn't sign it, another girl would. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was interesting how that played out, looking back, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and, I mean, tell me about that contract, what was in it and, and why did you sign it? Look, I signed it because I always wanted to be a recording artist and it was with a really great record company, Warner Music, um, 
it was, you know, it was the opportunity of a lifetime. And, and yeah, that I realized that, that in that contract, there wasn't much money to be made for the artists that signed it. Um, but in the end, uh, after all that audition process, I signed it. Um, it was hard to not, you know, when you, the fighter in you, when you get through all those rounds and you've, You've uh, made it to the very end and then, you know, obviously we didn't realise that was going to be the contract before we started the audition process. But, yeah, I think um, I weighed everything up and I decided to sign it and I'm glad I did. I mean, looking back, yeah, things could have been better for us financially, um, a lot better because <laughs> uh, there was a lot of money made from Bardo with our international tours, our merchandise, our double platinum albums. I mean, the list goes on. We didn't really see a cent of any of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, looking back, that's tough. But then I also, if someone said to me, would you do it again? I would have because mm. it's a life experience that is extremely special and rare, you know. Yeah. And, and sorry to ask you to spell it out, but how much money do you think Bardo made and how much money were you promised in this contract? Look, in the beginning we were on per diems, um, which is just $25, $35 a day, and then uh, they did cover some of our living expenses later on. And, yeah, it was rumoured they made, yeah, a lot of money. <laughs> I, I Yeah, it was quoted in the paper as $25 million in the first 12 months, but, yeah, that was a lot of money back then, 20, 23 years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it wasn't just about the money for you. I mean, it must have felt like a dream come true initially touring Asia and going to London, meeting Rod Stewart, oh, the yeah. Rolling Stones. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. And just doing what I loved, which was singing and dancing most days. And I was really into and still am really into fashion and the creative process behind, you know, the band. Um which really is is um, a, a wonderful thing, especially for me because I'm an all I'm all creative. So I really loved that whole process. I loved visiting different cultures, performing to different um, audiences, and meeting people from all over the world. So yeah, that that sort of experience is is you know very very special in in if anyone can do that in their life huh yeah <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And of course there was a darker side to it the stuff that people wouldn't know um a contractual clause uh requiring you to maintain your appearance were they quite specific about what they did and didn't want you to do look no that that contract uh, that that clause basically just said that we weren't allowed to change our appearance that meant i guess put on weight you know, cut our hair if it was long. They wanted us to stay the way we were, um, which I don't know. I have absolutely no idea if today that that those clauses would be in contracts. I don't know. But, yeah, looking back, it was, um, you know, that's pretty intense because you don't know how long the band's going to go for and life changes. You could get sick. You could, you know, you could put on weight, you could lose weight, you could want to cut your hair off. I mean, all sorts of things happen when you're growing up, especially in your mid-20s. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, and um, there's enough There's mm. enough pressure on women and their image when you're in your 20s anyway, right? I mean, what sort of effects... Oh, yeah. What sort of effect is actually knowing that legal clause is there, what did it have on you? Look, I think the pressure from being famous had a lot more pressure than that actual clause, to be honest. Uh-huh. I didn't even remember that clause was in there in the end. I um, 
yeah, I struggled with the pressure of fame, definitely, and to look a certain way and be a certain weight. It was tough, you know. Um, fame isn't for everybody and it it was tough for me in that way. So it was, um, it was a, a daily battle, you know. And uh, just putting yourself out there for public scrutiny, you know, it's it's a hard thing. Mm. Do you start to look at your own body in a different way? I think so. I certainly did. I think I was a lot harder on myself. And we were always in doing photo shoots and always on television. So, yeah, you, you can pick yourself to pieces. And, uh, yeah, it was tough. I, I ended up with an eating disorder and it was um, a really hard time in that way. You know, it was um, you had to be strong to get through. Yeah. So there's fame and there's instant fame and, and you you got the latter. I mean, do you think things might have been different if you hadn't started day one in that kind of white-hot glare of a TV show? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think, uh, you know, I'd been in bands previously and I think that the dynamic is quite similar. Um, and we definitely fast-forward our time. We did have a few months off-camera, well, off uh well, it was, we were being filmed, but we were uh, not known as a band. Um, so we kind of jam-packed what a normal band would do mm. in, uh, you know, a year kind of thing in a few months. Um, but we did have that time to bond before, you know, we went to air and yeah. before we were Bardo or known as Bardo because obviously you film everything before the catch-up, before it's it's aired, mm. you know. Um but yeah, yes and no, I think that would, would be my answer to that question, yeah. So many people seek fame um, these days. Um, mm. Do you sometimes feel like saying to influencers, people entering that world, be careful what you wish for? Oh, yes, 100%. You can read that all in my book. Um, yeah, look, again, you know, fame is and notoriety on that scale isn't for everybody. And a lot of artists are, are true creatives um, and quite sensitive, which is myself. <laughs> and uh, with that sensitivity, you know, it doesn't really it doesn't really match with the commercial side of 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 music in that, you know, when you're that famous, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I would say be careful what, what you wish for and, and make sure that, I mean, no one can ever, ever imagine that kind of fame and, unless you've lived it. Um, so it's really hard to sort of say to somebody before they're famous, oh, watch out, yeah. because, you you know, you can kind of go, oh, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I'd be able to cope with that. But it is not for everybody huh. and it's tough, you know. So, yeah, I would just, you know, if um, anybody ever came to me and asked me, you know, they. but then again, you know, you never know if you're going to be famous, even if you sign a big contract, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's all... Yeah, but yeah, going into those reality TV shows, I think, um, yeah, it's it's. I, I would imagine most people feel the same way that I felt at the time. Yeah, experiencing that. So people can read the book to find. Uh, by the way, if you've just tuned in, I'm talking to Belinda Chapel, a uh, member of the Aussie pop stars Bardo, and her book is called. The Girl and the Band, Bardo, A Cautionary Tale. And people can read the book to find out why the band broke up, but can I ask, did you did you see it coming? Look, no, I, I personally, I didn't see it coming at all. Um, it was a massive shock for me. Um, 
and yeah i i mean you can read all about it in in my book um but yeah it was it was an overnight thing literally one day we were uh working very very hard with the schedule ahead of us for the rest of the year and the next day it, we didn't have that schedule anymore and the band was over <laughs> yeah so that's how it happened so mm. what was it like for you to have that sort of rug pulled out oh absolutely devastating you know i was so passionate about what i was doing passionate about the band um and all the girls and, and our future you know so uh yeah i mean it was pretty tough losing your job overnight for it's like for anybody in in any industry no one wants to lose their job overnight especially when they think things are going really really well yeah. <laughs> so yeah it was tough how long did it take to adjust from being the girl in the band bardot to being belinda chapel again yeah good question quite some time um yeah, it was more just the being recognised everywhere I went, you know, that was tough. Um, uh, yeah, it took me a few years to get over it and uh, I needed therapy. I had a bit of post-trauma stress from it all. Um, and But, yeah, I got myself uh, together again and back into normal life. And it's been 23 years, so why tell the story now, Belinda? Good question. I think it's COVID's <laughs> fault. COVID did it. And no, look, I was living in Singapore. I had penned, started penning this book uh, back in 2004, so not long after the band disbanded. Wow. And and my girlfriend, she's an amazing editor, writer, and she just said, what are you doing with that? And I said, I'm not sure. And she said, you know, these things, these stories are so interesting now, um, especially with the hashtag Me Too movement. And it's just a lot more talk about mental health and I just felt like now is the time. I think back then I probably wouldn't have been brave enough to release it. I'm not trying to have a, an, a career in the music biz anymore so I could be truthful about my experience and what happened to me um, and it just felt right. Yeah. And when you look back at that experience, you've, you've sort of answered this question already but, but you... You're pleased that you did it. The, the the bitterness about how it ended and and some of your treatment during doesn't outweigh the um the joy and, Ooh, and the pleasure you got. That's a good. <laughs> I'd say fifty fifty. Mm. Yeah, fifty fifty. So, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, but again, if someone said, "Would you do it again?" I would, <laughs> <laughs> even though it was fifty fifty. Yeah, fifty percent hardship. 50% amazing experience. So, yeah. Great. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Belinda. Um, thank oh, you. Great. Thank you for um, thank you. All, all the fun times watching you guys back in the day. And um, it was really a phenomenon that um, probably will never be repeated. Um, but at the time, it was exciting. Yeah. The whole country was watching. So, um, great to chat yeah, to you. Yeah, it was. Lovely to chat to you too. Thanks for having me.